And all God's people said, you can be seated. Chris, Allison, Walter, thank you. Thank you, choir. That was fantastic. We apologize for you not having a bulletin this morning, but uh, Miss Diane was, was unable to do that over the past two or three days. So, Your Bible's open to John chapter 5, and it's, it's odd. You know, I do odd things. You, know, you would think that I would, can stay with a Christmas story, and, and I just don't do that because that's what we hear all the time around the Christmas season. We've heard, a, we've heard it, obviously, up until now, but I want to take you to John chapter 5 uh, this morning, and we're going to try to be in John chapter 5 for the next two Sundays, this Sunday and also next Sunday. Um, I want to thank you for, uh, many of you have supported those of us that are going to the ark. We are taking, um, I believe we have 18 rooms uh, at the Hampton Inn and dry, just to let you know, we're staying in Dry Ridge, Kentucky, okay? Dry Ridge is, is really close to the ark, the ark encounter. It's uh, I think we're two miles, our hotel's two or three miles from the Ark Encounter. And um, so Thursday, we're planning to go to the Ark. And uh, one reason we're doing that is Robbie has worked, he, we, we know that they're keeping their Christmas decorations up at least that long at the Ark. So Thursday, we're going to go to the Ark, and then Friday, we'll go to the Creation Museum. Now, some in our group are doing a little bit different schedule, but most of us are doing that schedule and then most of us are coming home on uh, Saturday, but we have at least two, three families that are going to try to drive back on Friday night. So you pray for them. Um, our director of missions was with us a couple of weeks ago. Many of you didn't recognize him. Our Elmore County director of missions for Elmore Baptist. And he saw that we were going there. And he and I, and I of course, I've been the Christian, we've been the Christian Museum many times. This will be our third time to the Ark and the Creation Museum. But we were talking about how significant it is. I, I find that what Answers in Genesis does and, and what you experience at the Creation Museum, we used to spend two days at the Creation Museum, but the Creation Museum and then at the Ark are just so foundational for what we believe because I, I appreciate their stance. You know, it says they believe the Bible from the very first verse, and so do we. Amen. We believe in a literal Genesis. And uh, we believe God created and et cetera, et cetera. So they defend the Bible from the very first verse. And I am grateful that they believe in a, in a literal creation. Now, with your Bibles open to John chapter 5, um, I'm going to begin reading in just a moment in verse 1. But before I begin reading in verse 1, I want to cover a verse that I've quoted several times. Matter of fact, I've quoted it the last two Sundays. And I want to show you where Jesus said this where he says that believers, he himself said that believers do not die. Okay, so it's in John 5, by the way. So take your Bibles, and I'm in John 5. Just go to verse, let's go to verse 21. And we'll, by the way, hopefully in the course of the next two hours as I'm preaching, <laughs> I'll come back through this in a minute. But, but, uh, but it says, For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, and of course, you got to think now, he, he's in Jerusalem. You, you see the context. He's in Jerusalem, been around the temple. There's a feast. There's a feast of the Jews. So there's devout Jews everywhere and around him when he says these things. So for as the Father raises the dead, and even Jews believe, they understood that God the Father, Jehovah God, raised the dead. Raises the dead and gives them 
life, so also the Son gives life, now this is what upset him too, to whom he wills. For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son. Now we know that Jesus is later going to say, he, the first time he came, he came to save. The second time he comes, he comes to judge. So eternal judgments has been given into the hands of the Son. That all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. And just know that, you know, we studied the book of Acts for forever, you know, and we finished it and we kept reading where the Jews, the Jews, the Jews would persecute Paul and follow him everywhere he went and, and, and heckle him and try to get him arrested and try to kill him. And the Jews were a, a phrase that the Bible used for the Jewish leaders, the religious leaders. Well, these are the same religious leaders that hated Jesus and and so when Jesus says these are some of the very things he was crucified for, claiming to be equal with God or being the Son of God. So these are very significant words that we most of the time don't realize Jesus does this in John chapter 5. That he says, you know, so the Father judges no one, but, I, but he's given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. And I can imagine the, the zealots there are just absolutely bent out of shape. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you. And uh, you could not be more emphatic with the text. If you, were, if you were reading the original language, the way Jesus says this, this is an axiom. He's making a truth statement, an axiom for all of eternity. They, they understand what he's doing when he says, truly, truly, I'm saying to you. Notice what he says. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. Do you believe that? Okay. Let me say it again. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. By the way, before I read the rest of it, this is why... I won't get into the history of that, but sometimes when I'm preaching, we talk about the, the Reformation, the Protestant Reformation. Because the Protestant Reformation, the, the Protestants, the Reformers took a stand against Catholicism because Catholicism added something to salvation. Salvation was not in Christ alone. It wasn't through Scripture alone. It wasn't by faith alone. And they took a stand. And so in history you have through the Reformation the, the five solas of the Reformation. But Christ himself says that salvation is in him alone. So he says, Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment. Now we're going to come. There's so many things Jesus says. The major doctrines we talk about Justification by faith, salvation by grace. All of that is found in this truth axiom that Jesus says. So he says, whoever hears my word, think of the authority of God's word. Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Okay. See, all the apostles, they heard what Jesus said and they knew the truth. And the Spirit brought this to their remembrance. Believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. Now, just if we don't get there, just to let you know, again, in the language of the day, Greek text, that's in the present imperative, which means that, that it, is, it, is a, it is a done deal. So when he says he has eternal life, 
He's not talking about being resurrected from the dead. That's the the other part, but he's talking about right now has eternal life, will not die. Will not die, but have eternal life. That's what he means. And this is why Paul would later say, right, to be absent in the body is to be where? Because you do not, you, at you, the person, what your soul that makes you you, if you want to say soul and spirit, however you want to say, a dichotomy, a trichotomy, what makes you you, which isn't the, the flesh, your sarks, your, your body, it's you, you, your soul. That part of you does not die, it meets Christ at the moment that you leave this body. So you have eternal life. That's extremely important in our day and time that we know that faith cometh, that that salvation is in Christ alone through faith alone. We've lost that. Now go back to John chapter 5, verse 1. Most of us will be very familiar with this first part of this passage because it's the the man that had been an ESV says an invalid. Uh, Some of yours says lame for 38 years, and Jesus heals him. But let's read the. Let's read the narrative and, and uh, make a couple of applications here because it's so, it's so profound that it exposes human nature. And while I'm reading this, I want you to decide, I want you to think about, well, I want you to think about what's different about this man, okay? And I'll tell you the answer in just a second. But there's, there's, there's two things that are significant about Christ's encounter with this man. After this, there was a feast of the Jews and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there, now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda. By the way, they thought that was wrong. And they thought John didn't know what he was talking about until an archaeological dig 30 or 40 years ago. Guess what they found? The pool of Bethesda. I've been there. And, it's the pool, and it has five porticos, porches. And, and so let's read what it says. Now there was in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, it's north of the Temple, uh, temple Mount. Uh, Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate, a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. You think John was around that all the time? You know I mean, John sees all this. He's writing about what he has seen. You know, that's what he says. You go read his first John, what we've seen with our eyes, what we've heard, and what our hands have handled concerning the word of life. He is. That is a great testimony, is it not? If you've heard it, seen it, and touched it, I think I'm going to trust what you have to say. Um, and you're about 90 years old when you're telling me that. So, so in these, it says, in, so in, in Bethesda, which had five roofed colonnades, verse 3, in these lay a multitude of invalids. Again, yours may say, you know, lame. They were blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. Now, it doesn't say he was an invalid from birth. We don't know that he was. There's a good chance he wasn't, but he's an invalid now, and he's been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him. See the difference? Most of the time when people encounter Christ, they're calling out to Jesus, right? This time, Jesus, of course, he knows everything about everybody. He knows the guy's situation. He knows everything about him. 
He knows about the 38 years. He knows why he's lame. He knows all that. So Jesus is going to speak to him. That's unusual. That usually doesn't happen. And I'll tell you the other thing. The guy never shows any faith. At the end of this, Jesus says, your faith has saved you. He doesn't say that. Jesus heals an unsaved person. That's what this text is going to tell us. Out of the sovereign grace and mercy of God, unsaved people get well. Do you understand that? That's what this passage, one of the things this passage is teaching. We call that common grace. You know, this, this man really, matter of fact, he reject, he's going to, you will get there, he's going to reject Jesus. Ultimately, he, he's going to side with the Jewish people because they've going to threaten him to kick him out of the temple. So anyway, so let's read on. So there's he paralyzed one man who was there had been an invalid. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you? And then he asked him this question, and we'll stop here just for a second. Do you really, here's the text, do you really want to be made well? Or do you want to be healed? Well, I'm going to ask you the same question. Do you really want to be set free from yourself and be bound to Christ? Do you really want that? Now, this is a physical event. I'm talking about a spiritual event for you. I'm asking you. This man is around Christ, and Christ asked him, a, but you would think that it would be a, a given that he would want to be made well. But Jesus asked him for a reason, because it's not an ob- it's, to Christ it's not obvious that he really wants to be made well. Now you're thinking, well, what in the world are you talking about? Well, I want you to think about a couple of things. Um, just, there's a couple of obvious things. Of course, Jesus knew things we don't, but here's one obvious thing. Let's think about what he had been used to. Okay, for 38 years, this man had been brought. Number one, he had been cared for by others. Okay? He had been on the government, they didn't have a government roles, but he had been cared for by family members. And I'm not saying that was wrong. They should have done. The Bible demands that you take care. But he had not been sustaining his own life for 38 years. Okay? But not only that, he was with Dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of other people that to some degree were in his same condition and they all were taken to this five, these five porches that had this pool. Now the pool's deep. And, and I'll, well, let me read, the, let me read the, the little narrative and I'll come back because I want you to understand what he says to Jesus. Jesus says, do you want to be healed? And the sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, and while I am going, another steps down before me. And then Jesus says to him, take up your bed and walk. Now, what the, what the tradition was, and really, you remember the Greek God? I've mentioned this Greek God several times when talking about, when I've talked about Corinth and Athens. It's the God Ascalipus. It's the God of help. Ascalipus. Well, anyway, from... The rumor was that this pool would be stirred by an angel of Ascalipus. Anyway, so the, 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 the tradition was an angel from this Ascalipus God would come stir the waters. And if you got into the waters when it was stirred by this, because Ascalipus was the God of healing. And, and by the way, this was the God that people would, 
would, would like if their, if their arm was broken or whatever, they would, they would later on in history, if they wanted to worship this God in, in Athens or, or, or Corinth or wherever, they would, they would make a, a they, would, they would form a, an arm out of clay or something, like, like, like a duplicate of what was hurt on them, and they would offer it with money and sacrifices, thinking that if they did this, then that God would heal them, whatever their ailment was. Anyway, we move on. So the water was being stirred. So the theory was the water was stirred. And while the water was bubbling or stirring, whatever you might say, if you got into the water, it was possible for you to be healed. Now, tradition says most places that had this, the water was shallow, but but this pool is, is quite deep. So even if he were to get in there, he would have to know how to swim if he was going to be by himself, honestly, if you're looking at... But, but the question is, Jesus asked him, do you really want to be made whole? So, you know, I think about um, John, later John would say, for all that is in the world, uh, for all that, 1 John 2, 16, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not of God, but is of the world. And I think about how bound that, that this, this, lame, this invalid man could have been caught up with the, the, just the basic pattern of life that he had been, he had been uh, used to. And, and maybe he was afraid. Uh, I've got, there's, this is unrelated to anybody in this church, okay, I'm, what I'm saying, unrelated. So don't say that I'm saying something about your family because I am not. We have rel- uh, friends that they have a grown son that has has never raised his kids, never, and so the parents, our friends, have raised them. And every time he gets close to, to thinking he's going to get sober or or whatever word you might want to use, right before he gets to where he's going to be on his own and maybe have to be responsible for his own children, guess what happens? He relapses, goes on another binge. And, and so now he goes to another rehab and, and goes, so they spend another year and lots of money trying to get this guy straight. And then he goes, that cycle, I mean, I've spent the last 25 years with my buddy and, and they go through cycle after cycle after cycle. It makes me wonder, is, is this gentleman, this young man, he's, he's grown, I mean, he's an older man now, is he afraid of the reality of, uh, and again, I'm not there. That, that I, could, I could be in the same situation, I could be in the same situation with this man. I know the sin nature. This guy could be bound to wanting just to stay where he was. Um, 38 years is a long time to be in the same situation. Um, I think about he says, he, he says, I have, notice what he says, I have no man. Now, they believed an angel stirred the waters, but he was saying, I have no man. Now, this is a shocking thing to say this. I think he was casting blame. I think this was just an excuse. But he says to Jesus, now 38 years, 38 years, this man had been lame. Now, I don't know how many years he'd been going to the pool at Bethesda. That doesn't tell us. He just tells us he's been lame for 38 years. I don't know if he'd been going there five years, three years, 30 years. I don't know. But he says, I have no man. So when the water stirred, however many years he'd been going there, he had nobody ever that would put him in the water, quote, when the water was stirred. It's almost as if he's... Number one, he's, it's like he's blaming man. But another thing, 
it makes me think about the effort of man. Now, let me ask you this. I'm, I'm, I'm probing now, okay? Just want you to think about this is This is the Word become flesh. We're meeting Jesus. The Word became flesh in John 1. John 2 is His first miracle. John 3, He meets Nicodemus. John 4, the woman at the well. John 5, He heals this man. This is the Word become flesh. This is what Christians do. How many lost people or spiritually sick people in your circle of friends can say, I have no man to tell me the truth. And I'm not talking about putting them in a pool. They might be healed. Superstition. I'm talking about you have the truth. And you think about all, all the circle of friends you and I have and all the spiritual sickness that you and I encounter. I'm not talking about people you don't even know. I'm talking about people you know. And you have an answer. And would they say, I have no man, I had no man to tell me the truth. Now that can't be an excuse. The Bible forbids that as being an excuse for not going to hell. But the point would be, can they say that? And is that true? I I have no man. Well, let's move on from him. I just find this this gentleman that's that's, uh, uh, so interesting to me. So anyway, it says... So Jesus answers, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool. And when the water stirred, and while I'm going, another steps in before me. And Jesus said to him, Get up. See, the man shows no faith. He's not even sure he even knows who Jesus is. Okay? Uh, Jesus said to him, Get up. Take up your bed and walk. Now, uh, and it says in... in and at once the man was healed and he took up his bed and walked. Now, he didn't necessarily have to, and you study this. He, I don't know exactly all the reasons why Jesus said, take up your bed and walk. He could have walked without his bed. Obviously, his bed was light enough to carry. And there's a word for that in the text that tells you that it's a small invalid's bed, small cot looking thing. And it was common in the culture. And so he. And I guess it's a sign of victory, but he takes up his bed and walks. And Christ has given him this, in this new life, this new opportunity. Uh, now, some of us have been invalids for months. We've had knee surgeries and knee replacements and, and all kind of things happening. You may be an invalid for months, but 38 years is a long time. This guy's been given new life. I mean, physically, he's been given new life. A, a, a dramatic, a dramatic new life. I know you're not going to believe this, but when I was in high school, after I got out of high school, I lost 100 pounds. Yeah, I got it back, and that's none of your business, okay? I lost it, but it knew where I was, you know, and it moved to Elmore County with me, okay? But that's really none of your business, isn't it? I thank you for not bringing it up. And so when you go, when you're, you know, when you're 20 years old and you've lost 100 pounds at that age, I was a new man. I mean, I could do absolutely anything. And, and I think about, that's what I was thinking about when I read this, about the he, lame. But you know, also I think spiritually, even greater than that, you, all of us that have met Christ, it's been greater than that. We've been brought from death to life. It's even greater than that. There's something supernatural that's happened to us. The dead have been given life. That's... Uh, now, this lame man didn't really honor Christ. I, I expect all of us that have been given new life, been brought back from the spiritual death, we should be honoring the Lord Jesus. 
We should be honoring the Christ of Christmas. But let's look at the narrative. It says, now the day was the Sabbath. Now that's the other thing that set these guys off later on. Is, is Jesus heals this guy on the Sabbath. And by the way, in, in the book of Genesis, when God created, and you know, they're sticklers. Uh, you know, they added, to the, they added to the Mosaic law. You understand, when you read the Old Testament, the, the Jews, these religious zealots, they added to this. Matter of fact, there's a book of law that's the size of the Gospel of Mark that's additions to Mosaic law. So they just added things, like how far you could walk before it became work, right? Well, so, so the, when, G, when Jesus says to this man, take up your pallet and walk, that was a violation of the... Him healing him was a violation of the Sabbath. But that guy walking and carrying his pallet was a violation of the Sabbath to them. Now, if you go back and you study the creation account, God created... Now, I want you to think about this. This is all I'm going to say about this one. We'll God created in six days, right? Jesus created in six days. When He rested on the seventh, He rested from creating. He didn't rest from sustaining, Right? Had he rested from sustaining, it all would have caved in, right? Because the Bible says in Hebrews, he sustains it all. So he quit. So his labor, his creative labor, he quit. He, he, he rested from that, but he sustained it. So it's not like God did nothing and has been doing nothing. That, and, and the Jews took it that, that literal, and so this was work. So now the day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath. And it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, The man who healed me, okay? The man who healed me, that man said to me, Take up your bed and walk. They said to him, Who is this man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was. For Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. And afterward, Jesus found him in the temple. So, so they confront him. He turns in Jesus, but he, can't, he doesn't identify him. He's nowhere around. Jesus has gone off. But Jesus comes back and finds him. Now, let me tell you, show you something very interesting. You're looking at your Bibles. Okay? This is why you read the Bible. Okay? Afterwards, Jesus found him in the temple. Jesus found him. Second time. I'm telling you, there's nowhere in this text this guy's saved. And by the way, I just think about God's sovereign mercy and grace to everybody. I mean, there's saving grace and there's just common grace. This is Jesus' common grace. Now, I'm going to tell you, I, know, I, I think I know. I don't want to be arrogant, but from reading the text, let me what scholars tell us why Jesus went back and found him. Uh, says, now, uh, says, afterwards Jesus found him, verse 14, in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. And then he tells him to sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. Now, there are times when people get sick and it is caused by sin. Matter of fact, there's even a sin leading to death, the Bible says. 
some sins, and there was other parables or encounters, you know, they would say, who sinned, this guy or his parents? And Jesus said, neither. This is for the glory of God, remember? But Jesus confronts this guy because his infirmity, if you're, if you're looking at the text, it's, it seems as if Jesus is saying, the reason you're where you are is because of the sin in your life. You were a lame person. You were an invalid for 38 years, and what, the reason for that is because of sin. Now, I don't know if the sin was that he was drunk and jumped off a roof. I don't know that. Or I don't know if it was just a, another way that God brought natural consequences on his ignorance. I, I don't know. But it seems when you, because Jesus doesn't do this any other place. He finds a lost man and says, don't sin anymore. Or something worse is going to happen to you, right? By the way, what, what's going to be worse? Hell's going to be worse. Okay? So, so it says, and so he says, she said to him, see, you're well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus whom he had, who had healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My Father is working until now, and I am working. Of course, that just bends them slap out of shape. Because he claims to be equal, equal to the Father. You know, the Father's not resting. I, he, the Father's working. I'm working. I'm doing the Father's work. That's, but you know, it's interesting that it seems as if he runs back and tells the Jews... He kind of tattles on Jesus. It seems as if he chooses the Jews, as I read it, he chooses the Jews over Christ. You know, it doesn't say, because when Jesus healed other people, blind, blind Bartimaeus, what did blind Bartimaeus do? It says, he could see, and he followed Jesus in the way. Right? It doesn't say this about this guy. He goes and tells the Jews, that Jesus wanted to tell me to take up my pallet and walk and break the Sabbath. That's what he went and told them. So you have this incredible narrative about this encounter with this, with this lame man. Now, we've got a few more minutes, and let's, let's continue. I'm going to pick back up in John 5 next Sunday, but let's pick back up. Let's look at verse 18. It says, uh, uh, this was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father and making himself equal with God. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. By the way, let me just say, nowhere else in the Gospels is there any other doctrinal statement like this about Christ's deity and as the Son of Man and the Son of God, how, how this works. There's no other passage like this. This is a very profound, and we kind of overlook it because we all remember the lame man, but we forget this profound doctrinal statement that Jesus makes about his deity, uh, you know, about him being the Son of God. Um, but all, he says, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. 
For the Father loves the Son and shows Him all that He Himself is doing. And greater works than these will He show Him, so that you may marvel. By the way, all throughout the Bible you'll find that Jesus will say, I'm doing the works. I love that. Uh, He'll say, I'm doing the works of my Father. Well, He's doing the work of the Father, but when He does it to us, it's the miraculous. Right? I love that. He's, John calls them signs, too. He'll say they're signs of His deity. Jesus says, I'm doing the work of the Father, and I'm doing the work the Father tells me to do. And, and the gospel's about that, Him doing the work of the Father. Well, we, he calls it work. G, John calls it a sign. We find it to be miracles. They're miracles. They're miraculous. They're out of the normal because it's the Son of God doing them. We, we've seen two or three already. And what he does with the woman at the well is, is a miracle. What he does at the, at the wedding feast is a miracle. Really, what he does to, Nic, to a Nicodemus is, is a supernatural encounter. It's God. He's God in human form. Um, Let's read a couple more verses and we'll close. It says, For the Father loves the Son and shows Him all that He Himself is doing, and greater works than these will He show Him, so that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom He will. For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son, just as they honored the Father. Now I'm telling you, this, this is setting them off. Uh, he's claiming to be God, equal with God, claiming to be uh, uh, the judge of all men. Uh, and they're just going to lose their mind. Broken the Sabbath. Uh, right? He's, he's, vile, he's dismantling their man-made religion. You know, they, the Jews had altered Old Testament Judaism. To, 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 uh, it was taxing. Now, I'm going to pull this off the top of my head. I can't tell exactly where this is in the Gospels, so forgive me for that. But you remember the, mir- the miracles? What a miracle. Remember when the, the, the Bible says that a lady brought two pennies and she cast them into the, the uh, coffers and they, would, they rang. It was a, they'd make a noise because so people would give more and make more noise. But she gave, it says she gave her last two pence. And the Bible says it's all she had. Now, see, to me, that's not a lesson, on, a lesson on giving. That's a lesson on legalism. The Judaism that these Jewish Pharisees and Sadducees promoted would cause a lady to be so guilty that she would give her last two pence to an offering that's going to be misused and go back home and starve to death. That's not biblical Christianity. So, so they had altered how to view, and so they had all, so Jesus is dismantling that, you know. So the things he's saying is so contrary to the to the religion that they're following. Well, let, let me move on and get. I want to get to these last couple of verses again. For the Father judges no one, give Father give judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, I say to you, nothing. Whoever hears my word. Now think about, we t- I talk about this every, almost every Sunday here. There's nothing more important to me and you than God's word. Uh, man should not live by bread alone. Okay? Bread's important. 
but by every word. So just as bread sustains natural life, your spiritual life is sustained by God's Word. Uh, it's living, it's active, it does things your conscience can't do, your friend can't do, an accountability partner can't do. The Word of God can sever your heart and mind and tear you apart that people can't see. You need to have, and that's why people who are living in sin, they jettison God's Word. They don't want anything to do and they don't want to hear it. They want to get, get away from it. And uh, so here's my word. Okay, so it's about the word. And believes or has faith. Believes who sent me has eternal life. So there's salvation in Christ alone through the word alone, right? By faith alone. Am I right? Is that not what Jesus say? Then look what he says. He does not come into judgment. Here's another doctrine. Justification by faith. How can Jesus say to everybody who believes His Word, does not come into judgment? Do you know why He can say that? Because everybody who is saved is justified. They're, it's just as if you had never sinned. We dealt with that last week. It's, it's the doctrine of just... You're, you're, it's not that you are sinless. You judicially are considered sinless by God. Because you now have Christ's history. That's justification by faith. So you're no longer going to be judged. That's why if you study the judgment seat of Christ, which is the one we're going to stand at, it, it's, it's an athletic judgment. It, it's about how well you've done in the pursuit. It's not a hell and heaven judgment. It's how well have you done in your running after Christ. So no judgment, no hell. So that you might what you call that eternal. You know, he says has eternal life. Then he says you don't pass into judgment. Well, that's eternal security. Now, all these doctrines. Jesus is affirming all these things right out of the right out of the first five chapters of, of the of the Gospel of John. And then he says has passed from death to life. We'll finish here. Here's the doctrine, the final doctrine, and really it's the final doctrine of all the doctrines when you study sanctification, justification. You know, it's glorification. Life. Life eternal. You're going to end up where Christ is going to end up. And we call that the glorified life. You're going to be, you're going to be glorified and live in heaven with Christ. Well, aren't you glad the Word became flesh and dwelt among us? And we've beheld. And see, you and I can read this and we can behold His glory. Glory as of the only begotten, full of grace and truth. We worship Him who was born King of the Jews. Amen? Let's stand and we'll be dismissed. Dale, you didn't know this, but you were on the prayer schedule today. You want to come here and dismiss us with a word of prayer. Folks, thank y'all for being here. Remember, no Wednesday night. See you next Sunday morning. No Sunday school. Worship again at 1030.